Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. And we are here this evening in the run-up to Halloween to discuss the... Uh, yeah, I don't want to give you know play my cards too soon or whatever, but the absolute genius piece of work, in my honest opinion, that is uh, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Um, but ahead of that, Chris. I know you've been busy with uh, other homework in preparation for Halloween. Uh, We've had a busy, busy one this weekend. We, yeah, we may have something planned for Halloween as a little Ooh. bit of a secret treat, but uh, you'll just have to hold on and see. Um, but apart from that, have you managed to see anything, Chris? I haven't, so I'm just going to say, Trick or Treat is awesome. Go and watch that. And yeah. Donnie Darko, and Beetlejuice, and that's it. Cool. And that nice bit, nice bit of Burton prep there as well. It is, yeah, because yeah, I didn't, I didn't realise Sleepy Hollow was. I'm sure you said that several times leading well, up to it. Well, but... well, if I recall rightly, Lee's exact words at the end of the last episode were, "We're going to examine Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow." <laughs> See, I, I cut, I cut out those sort of phrases. Tokes yeah. in ropes. It's, it's feel good before it enters my consciousness. <laughs> Um, Adam, have you watched anything? Well, well, I've watched a couple of bits. Um, you can, I've on YouTube, uh, Apaches is on YouTube in full, which is like a half hour, um, uh, government information film, you know, warning of dangers, etc., hmm. uh, from the 70s. And uh, it's basically kids don't play on farms in which basically they take six kids to a farm and murder one murder them one by one. <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. Fucking... What, what ways do they get murdered? Uh, one gets uh, his head caved in by a tractor wheel. Mm. Uh, yeah. a, little, a little girl drinks like rat poison and yeah. dies at home screaming. Mm. Um, there's, uh, what else? Someone gets a big heavy gate fall on them. Uh, someone mm. drowns. Oh, someone drowns in liquid shit. Mm. Someone drowns in the cesspit. Oh, it's like and yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's worth watching, but fuck me, is it harsh? Because <laughs> after each after each kid dies, there's like a little vignette of like it's the only pig that's not got a coat on it at school. Mm. And then they cl- and then they just take the kid's name off the top, like the sticky label above it that's it, like got the kid's name on it, or they clear out their school desk. And it's just yeah, yeah it's, it, it's, it's pretty that, hard hitting. Yeah, but this is the thing. I think it comes from a very good time of where there was no fannying about, and there was no please like us because you know you vote us in, so please like us. So do do what you want. I want to see. A 1978 COVID advert, mm. <laughs> where it's like, where you just see someone walking down the street, no mask, and it, the voiceover goes, "Look at this prick. <laughs> He's going to be dead within three days." As He's going to be dead within three days. Would, so is every other. Would they actually show him dying? You know, the the uh, the it gets really bad, then he gets a bit better, then he gets bad again, then he gets then a bit better. On the then yeah, and then then Jimmy Savile comes in. <laughs> And says, "Oh, you won't be doing that again, will you?" <laughs> and then he dies. 
and and yeah, it'll be then think think safe, think mask, wear a mask, you cunt. <laughs> that would be the that's the sort that is literally the level that this film sort of operates at, as in kids don't go to farms and it's like, don't go to farms. I'm never leaving the house again. <laughs> but also it's just it's lovely because it happens over a series of days. So it's not just like this bunch of kids get wiped out in one go. They keep going back to the farm. The farmer doesn't care that they're wandering around his pissing working farm. And yeah, one by one, all the kids are getting... And it's like, after the third one, come on. There's going to be some take around that farm, <laughs> you know, and questions are going to be asked. Do, do you think it actually worked? Yeah. I think it, I genuinely think it did. Although I've said it before, I think I've said it before on the show with, with what me and Claire have watched a lot of like government information films and stuff. And I think one of the psychologically best one I've seen is there's a drink driving advert, which basically, for want of a better way, this is how it talks to the viewer. Look, me and you, we're all right having a drink and having a drive. That's fine, isn't it? But if some bell end plows into you, you're going to be banged to rights because you were over the limit. Don't suffer because of that prick. Don't drink and drive. <laughs> and it's, but I think that that's the best psychology. If someone's yeah. drinking and driving, they're already over a... They, oh, fuck they're going to be defensive limit. about it. Yeah, yeah, they're already over, on a sort mm. of like fuck off of the, yeah. what I want sort of way. But it's just such a wonderfully planned one where it's like, look at this poor innocent drink driver. Yeah. Someone crashed into him and he got all the blame. And yeah, I think that it's a that great probably way did of work. Doing it. But all of and like I say, all of these adverts, they're never it's never sort of like, oh this could happen. It's literally don't do that, someone will die. Don't put a mat on the floor on a polished wooden floor. Someone's gonna break their bloody neck. The one I always remember is the kids walking along with fishing rods and it, and instead of having them taken apart, they're carrying them in one piece. And one of the kids touches an electrical mm. wire with it. Yeah. Mm. And I just remember, like, seeing that. And my dad being like, do you want to go fishing? I was like, fuck off. No, <laughs> I could end up dead. Why are you doing this to me? Do you or not that, care? Well, there was that one that was it, the, the advert for, uh, the advert for um, like the warning of the dangers of fireworks, where it was just a load of, like, blind kids on a hillside. Yes. Filmed in sunlight, like the end of fucking Tommy. And the there's fun... all the yeah, and like it's or the one where it's the kid who just holds up like their hideously bandaged, deformed giant hand where they picked up a sparkler after it went out. Yes, that was a terrifying image. But it's funny because um yeah, so in the run up to Halloween, I've watched The Curse of the Crimson Altar, which is one of my favourite films to watch mm -hmm. around this time of year, because it's uh, it's it's got fireworks and stuff involved, but that's the same. Like they burn an effigy of a witch on a bonfire, and it's all people who are definitely they're fully grown. They're like fifty and sixty year old people holding rockets and Roman candles, just standing around a fire, just holding them, and then throwing fireworks into the fire. And it's like, oh, fuck, it's nineteen sixty eight. This is what we do. And yeah. I was like. There's no internet. We, you know, there's, what else are you going to keep you entertained apart from potentially killing one another with fireworks? It's mental. An uncle of mine was uh, seriously burnt one year because uh, I'm not sure who. My father would never tell us. <laughs> I've got my suspicions. 
um, <laughs> because because one of them had put a fucking banger in his turn up, <laughs> and he just sort of exploded down the street like Michael Jackson hopping on one leg. <laughs> Um, and See, you know, your father wouldn't say who did it. I think I've got my suspicions. Yeah, <laughs> <fair guess. laughs> um, the other, I also watched a film which I've I kind of wanted to do on the show, but now I've watched it, I can't be asked. Um, called uh, The Evil Within, mm-hmm. um, and the story of that, the, the story of the film, which is the thing that is the genuinely fascinating is that it's written and directed by uh, one of the heirs to the Getty fortune. Okay. I think it's, I think it's Andrew Getty. And he basically, obviously, he's got all the money available to him. So he just made this film for about 10 years, or like a sort of horror movie, uh, and then was editing it for ages and ages afterwards because he was trying to get it exactly right, and he had like, what was what he considered state of the art effects and sort of things like that, and and yeah, it's and then he and but then he also was doing a lot of speed and died uh, before it was released. <laughs> um, and basically, yeah, this the, it is a film that looks like someone quite rich who did a lot of speed made a horror film. Michael, Michael Berryman's in it, which is always good. See, but... you just sold that to me on that. It looks like someone with loads of money, doesn't know what they're doing, takes loads of speed to make a film. I'd be like, yep, yeah, I'm going to watch that. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I saw it, but the best way I can do it, it's that horrible thing of you, you, you feel that you would say to them, I can see what you were trying to do. But it's it's that sort of Garth Marenghi thing where obviously it's like written by, directed by, funded by. So yeah, it's not sort of no no one's uh, at any point said maybe don't do that bit. It does say here <laughs> that he died. Um, it took him fifteen years to complete. He died in mm. two thousand fifteen, and then editing was completed by producer Michael Lucieri. Yeah, because I think that's the thing is there was so much that. There is there is an interest in seeing it, and I think it's going to be one of those ones that sort of becomes becomes a cult because of the surrounding story, not necessarily yeah. the actual the the success in any way of the film. Um, and it does have like the main character in it is meant to be um, like mentally challenged, and it gets a bit Ricky Gervais in Derek. <laughs> you know I mean, you're sort of like you're a bit sort of oh no, maybe not, mate. Or oh, that's a choice, isn't it? Um, Tropic Thunder, is it? Well, yeah. <laughs> it never it's, goes all retard. It's it, yeah, because it's it's more sort of. I can understand they've obviously got some. They they have to have someone in it because of the nature of the story. I won't, I won't give too much away because I don't think there's actually a plot to give away. It's kind of, yeah. Um, but basically, yeah, this this um, like disabled guy lives with his older brother and he gets this mirror that then a demon talks to him through it. But as it goes on, he has conversations with himself in the mirror 
but the reflection is, and I use the term as I imagine it was used in the script, normal. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? I think. Ouch. Sort of like, yeah, that's not yeah. right I, at all. Yeah, so I think it's sort of like yeah. So you you do need and you you couldn't hire someone who genuinely had a condition to play the part. Yeah, because they'd have to play both. It's like you know, it's like people complaining that they got someone without motor neurone disease to play um, Stephen <laughs> Hawking. And it's like, yeah, but you have to portray him beforehand as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's a bit of a non-starter if the guy can't move. So, mm. um, and I think this this is in a sort of similar way, but like I say, I mean, there's a there's a, a very, very, uh, what's the word for it? A, a very, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a very strange film. And like I say, the, the effects are sort of, again, it's like, oh, I can sort of see what you did there. But also the trouble is it was effects that were state of the art 15 years ago. Mm. And everything now, there's sort of like, there's a lot of visual effects in it, but they're sort of like, oh, yeah, I've, I've got that like on Instagram. It's like a filter. You know, yeah. it'd be something like eyes for, uh, mouths for eyes and things like that. And it's like, you know, all stuff that's, pretty much taken for granted now because most people have it on their phone in one way or another like a Snapchat filter or something but yeah I'm, gl I'm glad I watched it but I'm also glad I didn't because my whole thought was is yeah we'll definitely have to watch this as a for the for the podcast mm. and I was going to bring it <laughs> and I was going to bring it round without actually uh, watching it myself and I think we'd have all had to sit there and just pick through yeah, quite a, a series of problematic issues, as well as, hmm, yeah, don't really know what's going on there. So, but it's quite, um, yeah. I mean, it's if you're intrigued by that story, watch it. But don't. So, how, how would you heard about it? I'd heard about it. I think it was from it was either Room Morgue or Dark Side, one of the magazines, like uh, horror magazines, mm. and they had a review of it. But they they had also sort of said that. The whole thing with it is, and that's the best way of describing it. It is basically just an old, like it. It feels very nineties, mm. and it feels like it, of that sort of era. Um, but also, it's that sort of thing of this would have been a cheaper film, but because this guy was loaded, he can afford. It just it, spent. It, 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 well, that's the trouble. Is it looks better. But then you've got something like, I don't know, Beyond the Black Rainbow, where most of that film looks like it was shot by Stanley Kubrick on a huge budget. And this is like, you kind of had unlimited resources, but this still is a bit shoddy. Mm. <laughs> it's, yeah. And like, so, I mean, and there's certain bits where it's like, there's no, there's a lot of technique, but not in the sense of storytelling because there's like one bit near the start where basically a social worker comes around to talk to the older brother and it's shot like like it's just the camera doesn't stop moving it keeps like swirling around them and cutting and doing highs and lows and sort of swooping the whole time they're talking and they're literally just sitting somewhere talking so let's well, try and add some sort of extra yeah. 
well, I think it was just like, oh, I fancy filming it like that today. <laughs> you know, as he did another big dose yeah. of speed. And then, yeah, it's sort of, um, yeah, I think he's, uh, but it felt like it was the sort of way you'd do a countdown, like a bomb disposal countdown. It's that mm. frenetic that you would do it to because it's like a tense, exciting moment. And it's like, this is two people having a conversation. Calm down. So you are making it sound like it's worth watching again now, though, just it's, to see what weird we, things have they done. At some point, we'll do it for the film, for the podcast then, I think, because if you guys are interested in seeing it, it's, yeah, just to sort of go through. Because this is this is one that you, you, you would feel, I mean, you know, they say you shouldn't speak ill of the dead, but you can trash the film to a certain extent without feeling bad because, you know, he's not here to hear it. Um, yeah, and that's all the weather. Oh, and I did watch um, Dwight's uh, Dutch, Dutch Slitz's Shoes, which is an episode of Shadows featuring a magician called Mr. Stabs and he's a fascinating thing because there was a kid's show called Ace of Wands, which was like a magical sort of bit like a sort of hippie Doctor Who show in the 70s. And in in one story of that, a guy called, a demon called Mr. Stabs turned up who has the power of hand magic. And then after that show got cancelled, he appeared in a one-off drama, this thing called Dutch Slitz's Shoes as part of Slitz's the show. Shoes. Yeah. And then much later in like the mid 80s they did an episode of Drama Rama and Mr Stabs was in it and it's like and apparently that was going to and he's played by David Jason in the <laughs> Drama Rama one it's really and apparently and I I just like this idea is that what they were going to do was because Mr Stabs is a villain is they thought they were going to do a TV show and I, I'm not sure quite what they mean because they no one really developed it beyond the idea I don't think mm. Um, but they had the, the concept was going to be that each week Mr. Stabs would do something and then a different hero would defeat him or him. Would, yeah, okay. would be up against. The... I'm assuming he mostly stabs people. No, 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 no. It's his, his name is Estabis. Mm. And he, uh, no, he entirely magics people with his. Uh, he rhyme everything has to rhyme because it's like he casts spells, but they all start with hand of stabs, and yeah, he would, and then he does these sort of very because that's the thing. It, it was kind of it's a kid show, and but he is an oddly menacing creature because he's oh. very he's very strange and very Victorian and very sort of absurd, but in a quite bizarre way, but. Yeah, they and but I just like that idea of a TV series because obviously you got so, when you think about it, you got something like Batman, where it would be like, oh, it's the special guest villain. So is it Batman versus the Joker? It's Batman versus the Penguin or whatever. And it was going to be like as if you did a series where it was the Joker, but one week he fought Batman, and then the special guest hero was to be Superman, and then the special guest hero would be whoever. And I quite like that idea because I don't know what they were going to do. Whether it was going to be things like. Sherlock Holmes or you know established fictional characters or so, like established mm. heroes were going to meet him or what so but yeah sorry that was just a, a thing and I I've, I've waffled somewhat and I think that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> no it's all good um, 
so I've uh, started my Halloween viewing. So on October 1st, uh, I introduced Jennifer for the first time to Hexen. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, she'd never seen it. Um, it totally was not what she was expecting at all. Um, Did you so watch the original Chris, or the Burrows? No, the original. Ah, yeah. Uh, so for Chris, Hexen is a film from 19... Blimey, I need to check fact check before I go any further. Um, it's it's super early, silent, black and white movie. Um, How do you it, spell it? Uh, H-A-X-A-N, which is German for which. 1922. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's basically a history of witchcraft up to that point. Um, it's just fantastic. It's one of those, when somebody says it's nearly two hours of silent documentary about... Yeah, I was going to say, like that sounds quite impressive in itself, a silent documentary. It's it's phenomenal. It's mm. so good to watch. Um, it, maybe, it, again, maybe we add hacks into the list because... I, I think we should. Yeah. It's because it, it, it kind of, it starts off quite... Uh, quite dry to begin with, but then once it starts getting into the so, so when it's somebody talking at the beginning, well, they're not talking because it's silent, but it, show, it shows a card and then it'll show a photo and then it'll show somebody pointing at things and it goes on like that for about 20 minutes. Um, and then after that, it starts actually getting into full blown this is a witch's house, this is the stuff that goes on in it, and, so, and yeah, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's it's a window into, although it's all supposed, although it's telling a historical story, it's all mm. shot in 1922. So it's a window into 1922, effectively. Um, so it, yeah, it just feels, there's just something about it that just feels gothic and dark and menacing. And it's, it's a fantastic piece of film. Really. And for and for a documentary, they do reconstructions, but they're fantastical reconstructions. So it's things yeah. like it's things like Satan tempting priests in a church. But they obviously so they filmed all these elements uh, because they, it wasn't like I don't know. It wasn't like say a documentary where you just show clips from other movies. It was 1922, and there weren't any other movies. <laughs> it was you know so they would so they put this they especially filmed a lot of fantasy sequences of demons and witches and hell and uh sabbats and things like that and it's just it's an extraordinary like just visually it really does look well, and, and a, so e even you know even now it can still look good it oh, looks yeah. amazing. The only thing mm. that you, the only thing that will happen is you, you'll suddenly go, "Oh, that's in that metal video, isn't it?" Because <laughs> it's because it's old enough that it's gone out of print, so people sort of like they can use it. They can yeah. use it, yeah. But so yeah, there's sort of certain things where you're like, "Sure, I've seen that in a ghost <laughs> video or something." Or something <laughs> along, one of those sort of things, yeah. Um, but no, it's. I mean, it's yeah. We'll, maybe we'll do it on the show. I think because mm. it's, it's very different. It'd be a bit, you know? bit different, yeah. Mm. I think we totally should. It's one of those things I've been trying to convince Jennifer to watch for a while. Um, I'd have thought she'd have been quite up for it. She is, but I think because it's so old and it's silent and it's so long, 
it like it's quite an undertaking. You know, like silent films are generally about the hour mark, whereas this is hour and forty-five. I think it's quite. Mm. Um, but yeah, once we watched it, and, and the beginning is a little bit dry, is the problem. So mm. if you can get past the first 15, 20 minutes, once you get into it, it's fantastic. There um, is a sh- there is also a shorter version, which appeared in the sixties. And they get the author William Burroughs to do a voiceover for it. So rather than the cards, they've cut it down by maybe about half an hour, I think. So I suppose because you haven't got to have the cutaway each time. Yeah. So, but it cuts it down to about an hour and a half. Um, and the uh, the extraordinary thing is William Burroughs' voice. As he just will describe it in a monotone that will make your teeth stand on end. <laughs> it's like Tom Waits took too much Mogadon and <laughs> describes to you that this is what happens when the witch's sabbat is abound. A goat appears and they kiss its rump as part of their pagan whatever. <laughs> But yeah, um, that and actually, and they do a lot of they. Do, uh, I think that version they color filter a lot of it. Not they um, color, no, they don't colorize it. They just so rather than black and white, you get like a red or a blue or a gold. I was, I was quite surprised with this actually. Watching the as I say the original version, yeah, they obviously use filters on it because some of it, mm-hmm. a lot of it is sepia. But then every now and again, whenever they cut to an outside one, it'll be like a very blue looking like so. Mm. Mm. But yeah, I'd be keen to. I need to watch that William Burroughs one. I think because it's yeah. it, it's totally enjoyable. I think the I think the DVD that I I think the DVD I've got of it had both versions on there. Um, but that but I don't know, you know, where the later ones were or mm. I think because I I think that was like a tartan one that I got like years and years and years ago, um, and I was quite I was quite heavily into but well I'm still. I'm still heavily into Burrows, but there we go. Um, I was quite heavily into Burrows at the time, so I was like, "All oh, right, I'm watching that as well as." So I watched the original, and then I, I think I watched them back to back, and uh, yeah, then wow, that's quite an undertaking. It's quite an undertaking. Then I remember the birds started singing, and I thought, "I've got to get <laughs> up now, haven't I?" <laughs> um. So the other thing I watched, I finally got round to it. I'm not sure how much we can call it horror, um, but it, it definitely launched the career of two horror directors. Um, so I finally got round to watching Dead Hooker in a Trunk. Oh, yes. Uh, that was lovely. Yeah, Chris looks slightly bemused. Um, so it's a comedy, it's a, a super low-budget independent comedy horror movie uh, mm. from 2009. Uh, made by two sisters uh, called the Suska sisters. Um, yeah. And they made this like super low budget, just all the money they could scrape together. Um, and it absolutely blew up. And as a result, they uh, went on to do much bigger budget movies and they got a few TV shows and stuff. And they're, you know, they're, um, yeah, they've, they've done really well out of the, out of it as a as, as you say then it's it gives hope to independent film makers yeah, you yeah can, that's great. Um, look i'm gonna get my friends i'm gonna get this video camera 
we're going to shoot for nothing over a few weekends and put it all together and you can be noticed because this film become a cult so, classic overnight really so what is it like why what was it that it did well well the thing is and this is what i want to cover it doesn't do anything perfectly but it lands well on so many things have you seen it Adam? yeah because I would, like you say, it's the, the horror element is questionable because the Soska sisters have gone on to do predominantly horror since Dead Hooker in a Trunk, but Dead Hooker in a Trunk has a bit, is a bit more like a sort of Tarantino-y sort of, yeah. not like a bit like a sort of Tarantino-y road movie, a bit like the start of From Dust Till Dawn mm. or something like that, yeah. Um, yeah yeah sorry yeah yeah so the the plot of it is two sisters who are very different uh one of them is a kind of goth metaler and her friend who's the lead singer in a band um is a bit of a wreckhead and the other sister uh, her best friend is a kind of very religious um uh he, he works in a church and stuff and basically all four of them are together in the car and suddenly realised that there's a, a dead hooker in the trunk and they don't know where it came from and everything just kind of unravels from there, really. Um, like, so it's they can't decide what to do with the, the yeah. corpse. And, and, um, and it, it... But as I say, so, so what it does is it... it it's... Um, the script is really good. The acting is really good. Mm. Uh, the comedy is really good. The gore is really good, but it doesn't do a lot of them. It doesn't do any of those things a lot. So, like, you couldn't really yeah. call it a comedy because, as Adam said, it's more like a Tarantino-type film. But the comedy that's in it is literally like... A, I remember being conscious of how loud I was laughing at some points. Um, but it's not like that all the way through. Okay. And the fighting's really well choreographed, and so so it's one of those. It it, it works perfectly for them as a showcase of, on mm. absolutely no money, we can do everything relatively well, yeah. and noticeably well. I think it's probably a better way of putting it. Um, yeah. So it launched the Soska sisters, uh, the Twisted Twins, as they're otherwise known. Uh, yeah. Who <laughs> then went on and did um, American Mary? Say American Mary. Mary. I loved American Mary. I think that's an amazing film. Yes. Um, yes. And they've most recently they've done a remake of Rabbit, the Cronenberg film, oh. um, which apparently was, I think, was uh, executive produced by Cronenberg. So he's quite wow. You know, he was quite happy with it by the sounds of it. So. Um, uh, yeah, and like you say, they've done lots of like I think they've done a lot of telly like episodes, but mainly again like genre and horror series. They did a they did a thing that I caught some of. It was um, I can't remember what it was called, um, but yeah, basically it was a bit like an a, like how you'd imagine an amusement ride, and they'd get two people and they would put them through uh, like a horror maze, effectively. And see how long they could make it before they shit their pants and ran away. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was the two of them that had come up with it, and kind of uh, they they were watching it on like a CCTV thing the whole time, just going, "Yeah, no, that no, 
I reckon he's going to crap it in a second. Like, it's just, yeah, and it was quite, it was, it was an entertaining show. I can't remember what it was called off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, it was very good. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, also, um, a show I don't think we've mentioned on here. It kind of is horror, um, but Utopia, the British. Um, oh, yes. Yes. So I just wanted to address that very quickly. So there was a British TV show called Utopia. Um, about a comic book uh, linked to viruses. Um, yeah. And it was absolutely... It did two seasons got cancelled, so it got kind of ended a little bit too quickly, unfortunately. But yeah, they it, left it on a massive cliffhanger. Yeah. Or a massive set of cliffhangers. Um, oh, actually, and it does include one of the actors who was in Sleepy Hollow as well. Um. The guy, I can't remember his name, yes, the, yeah. the Emperor. Ian McDermott, yeah. Because he, uh, yeah, he's in the second series, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, Brit- the British one was incredible. It was like, phenomenal. It was funny and genuinely horrific. Yeah, genuinely um, dark. And, it left yeah. you with a really hollow feeling at times. Um, and then other times it had you literally laughing out loud. It was, in, it was an incredible show. Um, mm. And Amazon have remade it, um, and I watched the first episode to see how it compares. I have never seen anything quite had the guts and the life ripped out of it quite as much really? as it managed to do with Utopia. Um, I, I, so I watched the first episode and then went back and watched the first episode of the UK series. Um, mm. uh, yeah, and they've just sanitised it. So, so I mean, what, like what? How? There's just something to give you an idea. The very first episode, the very first, like the opening part of season one, before they've even brought up the title sequence, mm. two men walk into a comic book shop and kill everybody in there. One of them is a young boy of maybe seven years old. And they mm. just go in and in a very cold, like they don't brutally murder them. It's they got calmly a, murder them. Yeah, which makes right. it even worse. And mm. like, Don't put the gas away, yeah. Yeah, oh, that is that's especially because he's giving him he's giving him the raisins at the time. So like you're like, oh, he's not going to kill that kid because he's giving him some food. And then over his shoulder, he goes, "Don't put the gas away yet." Yeah, oh, oh, it's just horrific. And they just took all of that out of the new one. Um, yeah, and just made it so kind of almost family friendly. I mean, it mm. might turn dark well, later on. But, yeah, because the original, like you say, the original did not start family friendly, and it didn't. Start, <laughs> it didn't go family friendly. It was, <laughs> yeah. So it I mean, started off dark, and then every time you thought you got a handle on it, it got a little bit darker. But because of the comedy, you kind yeah. it. It didn't feel like you didn't go. Do you know what? This is too depressing. I'm not going to watch it because the comedy gives it such a light-hearted element. That you come away with a, a a really nice kind of middle middle of the yeah. road mood at the end of it, despite the fact you've been through some highs and lows. It comes mm. out, yeah, because because essentially it's a load of people who get involved in a conspiracy, but they are a group of comics geeks who met in a chat room, so mm. they don't really know each other and. They're all kind of crap in their own sort of unique ways. <laughs> so 
they are not the people to be dealing with a giant like conspiracy, like you know, shadowy government and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's but that that's a lot of where the humor comes from. It is just ordinary people stuck in those circumstances. Yeah, um, but the circumstances get really fucking dark in places. And but yeah, and it was. I think the trouble is you saying that Lee just makes me think of yeah, the 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 UK version. Of, like I said, I've not seen the US one. Certainly after not after Lee's review, mm-hmm. but the UK version had such a unique feel to it. Even now, I don't think there was anything that. Well, there's probably nothing like it because it got cancelled after series two. So yeah. a lot of people just decide, yeah, we'll back off from that. Um, but it had just such a unique sort of view and look and sound and feel to it. And, yeah. Well, that was the other thing that Jennifer said was, uh, you know, um, as she said, the thing she remembered from it is it always being like, it was always super bright colours and stuff. Like, it almost looked yeah. like a comic book. It, it was really it was really bright and vibrant. Yeah, um, because, because the conspiracy revolves around a graphic novel. Hmm. And but yeah, like you say, it is the whole thing has a lot of bits where there's like big primary colours that feel like a splash page from a superhero comic. And yeah, if they've ordinaried that up, then yeah. that that's the selling point gone. Yeah, because yeah. you strip it all down, it's just oh, it's a conspiracy drama, and they've been going since the X Files and to varying degrees of success. Yeah. But what I liked about this for the UK one was uh, was the, the how stylized it was. Mm. Um, the fact that the comedy was so funny and the fact that the bleakness literally at times left me thinking, I, I, ne- I don't want to watch this anymore. Like, I'm close <laughs> at times to going, do you know what, I'm going to walk away from this because it's so unpleasant. Mm. But... But then they put in a really funny bit for five minutes and you just kind of forget. Um, and, and you'd also, I think you did give a shit about people. So you did want to, yeah. that's that's what made the horrible bits horrible is because you wanted to see where people would go and you didn't want bad things to happen to them. No. Mm. But I mean, I mean, the fact that there is a sequence in, I think it's in series two where one of the hitmen is looking for one of the conspiracy guys and basically very slowly kills his boss. Mm. Um, but utterly, it's like Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. It's utterly slapstick, but it is just this thing of he keeps having to hit him with a, um, <laughs> uh, what's it called, a fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's brutal, but also just piss funny, especially yeah. the bot, the the guy who's getting killed is a bit of a twat anyway, so yes. you're not that bothered. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, actually, it also it features Neil Maskell, uh, who you'll yes. remember, Chris. Yeah, I love Neil Maskell. He's such an incredible actor. Um, but he was the guy from Kill List, the main guy we followed. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's in it, and he's he's just incredible in it. Absolutely. Yeah. So going back and rewatching it because obviously I finished it, and then uh, it's a couple of years ago now. Um, and going back and rewatching the first episode again, 
um yeah that character's story arc is fantastic but he is just it just shows his range of acting in this is mm. just incredible absolutely incredible um, Where is jessica hyde i see now that's missing from the new one oh well, that's that part, then that was the adverts yes so it starts off they know everyone knows who jessica hyde is she's she's in the comic book and there are pictures up all all over the place in episode one and i'm like no we're supposed to take almost three episodes to find out who that character is what are you doing yeah sorry chris but yeah but yeah, yeah so whatever you do don't go and watch it if you've been watching it so far sack it off go and watch <laughs> it because it's a hundred times better and it's a hundred times more unpleasant at the same time but so i thought on the whole um amazon had been doing reasonably well with the productions but obviously not with this one I, I i think it's just it's that remake thing of them remaking the wrong thing yeah i mean it was only made in 2013 so it's not you know it's not like it's 40 years old and it needs remaking yeah so i just think it might be more that people would find it difficult to watch as i did but i still stuck with that roller coaster and i'm glad i did because it mm. was totally worth it so I think taking that backbone out and trying to kind of level it, yeah, it just means you're going to make some loses because mm. you're taking yeah. right out of it effectively. See, I know the guy, the guys who created it were—I mean, obviously you would be—but I remember them being really, really upset that they didn't get a third series because I think they were going to tie everything up. Mm. They were sort of like, you know, it wasn't going to be you know, running for 10 years or something like that, they kind of had the story mapped out and they were going to do the third series and sort of wrap it all up. So maybe that's another reason that it's being remade is someone was like, oh, we might get to tell the story this time. But then, as you say, if they've adapted it in sort of so X amount of ways, how similar is that going to be anyway to what the end game was? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, as I say, and it's one of the, that was why I wanted to try it because I was upset about the fact that obviously we, they didn't get to tell the full story. Mm. So I was like, well, if Amazon are doing it, they can pretty much write their own checks. So if they're starting it, they're going to finish it regardless. Um, yeah. But yeah, as I say, they've just sanitized it to such a degree that it's it's such a shadow of its former self. It's uh, it's unfortunate, really. Um, so. But it has it has primed me to go back and rewatch the originals again. Mm. So although we don't know where it all goes, I uh, I still enjoyed the journey. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, right, and on that note, sorry, we've waffled on for a very long time now. Um, so Sleepy Hollow from nineteen ninety nine. All those. Yeah. Um, so Chris, was this your first watching of this film? No, no, I have to admit, I did go to the cinema for this one. Um, oh, I think there was a, a fairly big group of us went to see it. I suppose, um, what, what had Tim Burton done prior to this? Um, um Edward Scissorhands, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas before this, uh, I think Nightmares Before This, uh, Edward, both Batman movies. Oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, uh, what else? But yeah, Mars Attacks already. 
Yeah, now that's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. So he's done done quite a lot. Yeah. So that was perhaps why then. um, And I I do, I seem to remember, I mean, this was a fairly big budget film, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, And I I guess it was advertised a lot. And so, yeah. So we all went. And yeah, I remember thinking it was, you know, fantastic. What I didn't remember was just how like exactly what style it was i remembered you know the production and just how great it looked but yeah i didn't remember it being sort of scary or trying to be scary and it was interesting watching it this time um i, I was trying to think what would i actually categorize it was and i'd say it was a you know, like a splendid gothic theme action mystery with mm. a horror sense but but it doesn't actually try to make you too fearful of you know, like the headless horseman, it is action when he's around. Yeah, it's not like he's not horror. Yeah, and it, an adventure. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, maybe something like Indiana Jones or something like that. Mm. It's like an old, old school adventure. Yeah, especially with the the humour aspect to it as well, because Johnny Depp is it's similar to sometimes Indiana Jones. He he is a little bit silly on occasion. Um, I suppose particularly the way he's he's quite sensitive, you know, because he faints a few times, and um, yeah. So and when it, when he sees the horseman for real, yeah, yeah, he's cowering in the bed. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's a great film. Um. Yeah, a lot of fun. Um. And certainly for people who don't like things too scary, you definitely won't find this. Uh, I mean, there's some gruesome and some upsetting bits, like the uh, the boys. Mum's head being chopped off. I, oh yeah, through the I'd forgotten that. Yeah. yeah. See, um, I've made a note actually. Yeah, for a fifteen. Yeah. It's just decapitation after decapitation, and they're although they're not although there isn't loads of blood and it isn't gore. It's all kind in, of enough of that, but yeah. But yeah, there is a lot of violence going. I mean, even it, before the title again, before the title shot comes up saying Sleepy Hollow, someone's already had their head cut off pretty violently, mm. people, pretty violently and pretty graphically right in front of you. It's, Actually, yeah. two people, because it's obviously the, the coach Copeland. driver. Yeah. And then Martin Landau gets it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, that's, that's also an indication of where Tim Burton was in terms of success as well, where it was like, Martin, do you want to come and do this thing? Uh, <laughs> you ain't got any lines. <laughs> <laughs> But he still turned up. So and Christopher Lee as well. I mean, having Christopher Lee in it that early on yeah. is uh, in well, such a small role. Well, especially again, Christopher Lee's actually got quite high billing in the opening credits. Mm. But the irony is, is that his name appears after the one scene he's in, <laughs> <laughs> which is you know a bit bloody ridiculous. And I think that's the thing, really, is that. The cast is absolutely incredible. It's a mm. dream cast, isn't it? It's really? a, yeah. It's a well, I think it's also it just proves sort of Tim Burton's Anglophile tendencies. But mm-hmm. you know, you you've got a pre- well, pretty much majority English cast. And it's you know, it is people like Miranda Richardson and um, oh, what's his bloody name? Miranda Richardson is Michael absolutely Garibon. amazing in this. Is, is she Burton, the one that's in Black Adder? 
Yes. Yeah, Queenie. Right. From okay, yeah. And you've got, but yeah, and then, and even like, and like you say, you've got Richard Griffiths, Ian McDermott. Like, mm, yeah. Yeah, 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 I was pleased to see Ian McDermott. By mm. the way, you've got three, count them, three Sith Lords in this film. Yeah. But, but, oh. Wait, go on. Wait, who's the third? I've got two. Yeah. So obviously, you've got Christopher Lee, Darth Tyranus. Yeah. You've got the incomparable Ian McDermott, Darth Sidious. Incredible. And body of Darth Maul, Ray Park, is the is headless it? horseman. Uh, no. Yeah. Because, like, because he's, he's like a fight choreographer and everything. So whenever mm. it's the headless horseman in battle, that's Ray Park. <laughs> also, also at this point, because technology had just got to that point, uh, just wearing a blue ski mask that they digitally removed. Mm. And you know, it has to be that said, it's a good cool. effect. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have yeah. to it. It looks right. It's one of the things I did make note of. Um, it, the special effects for 1999, mm. um, practical effect, and that crossover mm. with digital, as you say, with removing the guy's head with CG. Um, I think and, if it had come out even the last few years, you would not have thought anything bad, would you? Like, it just looks absolutely incredible. There's nothing yeah. in this doesn't look absolutely perfect it is the effects in it were fantastic really really exceptional um yeah and it's it's got a there's something about the look of it as well that i love it's got such a muted color palette mm. it's got lots of gray and lots of blue in it um and all the colours are kind of toned down but, to give but that could you could think that might end up looking boring but i think that's where um, okay, yeah, the production is so good that it still looks vibrant. It's shot through a blue filter, most of it. Mm. Yeah. And they had to compensate, obviously, because of the extremity of that. So all the blood that you see in this is actually bright orange. Mm. Oh, really? To make it come up like End up that. red. Yeah, to show up red with the with the blue filter on. That's yeah. that's the level that it was that you have to have like atomic orange <laughs> blood to try and sort of compensate. Um but yeah everything looks everything looks cold. Yeah. Mm. You know it it's weird because there's a crossover point of you've got say for example um you know the feel of it feels like I say it feels cold you've got it feels damp almost and stuff like that but everyone's still got quite nice teeth and quite nice hair um johnny depp's hair keeps changing from like a soft bob to like a a kind of tight built up layered feathered effect literally from day to day it's like every day he wakes up and decides to do a different hairdo i know he's <laughs> watching it this time but I think that yeah, and so it's it doesn't quite get to the the holy grail point, you know, where it's like right, we want everyone covered in shit every day because <laughs> yeah. that's what happens. <laughs> and obviously, I know it's you know it's the, the time difference. This is like the seventeen hundreds, not the Middle Ages. Yeah, but yeah, it feels damp. Apart from no one's no one's got uh, everyone's got straighteners apparently. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's got very nice hair, but. Um, but all in all, I think it because oh, and again back to the thing you were saying about practical effects at the time they built the village. Mm. 
they actually oh, built, really? yeah, most it was mostly filmed over here, probably to save on airfare for most of the cast, I would imagine. Mm. But it was filmed over here. Uh, I think there's a couple of bits that were actually filmed near the real Sleepy Hollow, mm. um, like the actual place. But um, yeah, the rest of it was sort of filmed. The, the certainly the village that you see that was filmed over here. We, uh, they built all of that village and the houses were like the houses they were using were practical so when you went in some of them some of the houses were obviously facades but any ones that were actually going to be someone's house you would go into in the film they built the house so wow. had stairs and floors and you know so on and so forth so it was very like it was a huge set and actually there's a quote from uh because he would have just been coming off the Phantom Menace. Um, but there's a quote from Ian McDermott where he said, uh, what was it? Having come from the blue screen world of Star Wars, it was wonderful to see gigantic, beautifully made perspective sets and wonderful clothes, and also mm. people recreating a world. It's like the way movies used to be done. Yeah. And it's like, well, they still are, mate. You just hung around with a green screen freak. The, yeah, <laughs> the wrong, you're in with the wrong crowd. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, you have, you cannot overstate. It's a, it's an incredible fucking cast. Mm. I, I have to. I think, weirdly enough, I do pinpoint this as the point that I started, and it's not Sleepy Hollow that did it, but it's the. This is the point for me where I don't think I really liked much of Tim Burton's output after this. Mm. I think a lot of people felt that way. And, and, and mm. um, yeah, and I love this film. And so I think I kind of kicked back against it to some degree. Um, but yeah, it, it did become much more, I don't know, might, maybe almost formulaic. Um, I, well, I think there's I at certain it. points, I mean, it's even the fact that like Christina Ricci is dressed as Beetlejuice in the final sequence. Mm. Yes, you, it's almost that thing because I remember. I remember when we saw it at the cinema. I remember coming out and uh, former guest Wesley said, "Oh well, he had to get the stripey bits in there somewhere, didn't he?" I made a note of that as well. Yeah, and, the fact and, that he, he took his what you take for for his appearance. Yeah, like how you expect his stuff to. There's very little of that in this film, but yeah, things like that he has to sneak in. I think the architecture. I think a lot of the buildings have got his look about them, and that big, the Tree of the Dead. Mm. Oh, totally that, yeah, like, that, that, that's clearly something he's drawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, I, and, I, but then I think that's the point: is this? Yes, it's an adventure. But it also feels a bit fairy tale. Yeah, totally. which which Tim Burton does very well. Mm. And like I say, I don't think it's Sleepy Hollow that's the problem. I think it's just everything post Sleepy Hollow. I've really not enjoys much i can't think what is post sleepy hollow but it's a lot of things that i know i mean sort of just because obviously you know he works with lots of people again and again and again yeah. but, I mean, I, but and johnny depp being a case in point but um yeah so i think like after this you've got stuff like um charlie and the chocolate factory which again, which seemed a pointless remake more than anything else. Yeah. Um, I like the only thing I can. So I've not seen it. So I don't know. But I can kind of see, 
like why he would have wanted to do Charlie and Chocolate Factory because the first one almost seems like it could have been made by him in how strange it is. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe he was just moved. So many people were sort of saying that that he was like, well, I'll, mm, I'll, I'll, I'll actually do it. <laughs> yeah. Just to, pr- just to prove that, no, I would have done it differently. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, and you didn't have Gene Wilder. Sorry, mate. Mm. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously, the uh, this is obviously based on the story, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. They are no Yeah. But, well, it has, it has elements, doesn't it? Because um, it's uh, basically, in in that version, what is Washington Irving, isn't it, the author? Yes, it is. Um, yeah. yeah, and in that version of it, basically, Ichabod Crane is a teacher, not a police detective. He comes to Sleepy Hollow, and he's not actually that heroic. He's actually he's interested in um, Christina Ricci's character. Yes, uh, because her dad's got money. Yeah. Mm. So he's actually on the make. He's a bit of a gold digger. And she's so, and and then he butts up against her boyfriend who is mm. Brom. Brom Bones. Brom yeah. Bones. And but in but I think kind of in the story, Brom Bones is kind of the hero because he's like he's her true love, and Ichabod Crane's this like interloper who's trying to get get in there, sort of thing. It's strange because it it, it, I've read it a couple of times actually, but it, it isn't. Although that is the case, it isn't laid out like that. Mm. Like Ichabod Crane is kind of the 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 focal point of the story. You do feel yeah. like a bit of a hero, so you mm. follow him. But yeah, the fact that as you say, he butts heads with Brom, um, and then ultimately in the story uh, they have a big dance on Halloween night. Ichabod hears the story of the headless horseman. Um, Brom sets up and goes out and scares him, and Ichabod is never seen again, and nobody knows where he's gone or what's happened. Yeah, yeah um, so they, and that is recreated in this. That is the sequence where he's chased down by the headless horseman, who throws the pumpkin at him, and then he goes around the corner, and it's Brom on the horse with the like cloak up over his head. I did love that they did give that nod, although they'd done, they'd done a very different story, because obviously that's what Tim Burton was going to do. I did love the fact that, that there was that nod in there. And I, I mean, ultimately, the story itself, there's like a, there's a really good um, uh, Disney version. Mm. They get, it's like 28 minutes or something, like it's fairly short. That's, I think that's the reason you need to have more story to it, because that, yeah. that in and of itself is, is like a half hour. Mm. It's not an hour and a half movie or whatever this is, hour and forty five. Hour and forty five, yeah. exactly, I think. Mm. But I and I I like the fact because in the actual town of Sleepy Hollow, which I hadn't until I was researching this, I didn't realise actually was a place. I've looked it up. It's it's it is north of um it is in upstate New York. It's near Yonkers. Yeah. Um I was gonna go there. Um, I, I, it, it was my next place on my travel map to do um, until I did a bit of research and found that actually there's very little there because it is just a tiny little town. Well, it's, a, it's, it's actually a, it's because it is a, it's a, it's actually counts as a village because hmm. it's, it's still a village in 
the town of Mount Pleasant in, like you say, in Westchester and uh, upstate New York. Hmm. And, but, and also the, um, it was founded by Dutch immigrants in the 1660s. Hence the reason why there's lots of vans. Yeah. In, in the family, in the family trees, in, in, in the film and in the story, etc. But they do actually have a real headless horseman legend. Really? Yeah. So Washington, Ir nice. Washington Irving based the legend of Sleepy Hollow on the fact they do have. Um, so I've I've put the real in inverted commas legend. Um, he's also known as the headless Hessian of the Hollow. Uh, during the American War of Independence, a Hessian soldier was decapitated by an American cannonball during the 1776 Battle of White Plains. Um, his body was taken away, but his head, like the, I mean, obviously it was shattered, uh, was left on the uh, left on the battlefield. Uh, the this uh, Hessian soldier was then buried at the old Dutch church. And then he rises from the grave to search for his head using a jack-o'-lantern as a replacement head and throwing weapon. Mm. Also, also just this because this is something they do mention. They do say Hessian in the film. Yeah. Um, but it's actually um, that is a term for German soldiers who fought on the British side during the American War of Independence. I did wonder what that term meant, because it's one yeah. of those things like you hear it, so you just associate it with this story. But outside of this story, I don't think I'd ever heard that term. Yeah. And what it is, it's just because the majority of those soldiers came from uh, two German states, Hesse Castle and Hesse Hanau. Or Hanau. And so, yeah, so it was like Hesse, Hessian. And that's, yeah. And that became like the cover all term for all German soldiers fighting on the British side. Um, so yeah so they did so you know it's i quite like the fact that this story almost goes takes the thing of well you've got washington irving's story but technically that's based on a real ghost story if where real is you know what I mean? um yeah. an existing ghost story yeah and then they've gone back and sort of like said well what if yeah ichabod crane can still experience like the the sort of the bit with Brom where he fakes it, but to scare him off. But equally, there is a genuine headless horseman going around. Although obviously they then bring in all the, the sort of control elements and stuff like that, mm. that and, and, that's... and actually turn it into a detective story. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That, that's one of the things I really liked about this. I did make a note. Um, which I've kind of forgotten about is yeah. So Ichabod Crane obviously turns up and, and enters the room with the kind of town elders and he goes in with this kind of a very uh, controlling air and he's going around and saying, right, this is what's happened. And this is what I think. And this is what I've heard. Um, and he kind of controls the room to some point until mm. they all basically beat him down and say, well, you are aware that, it's because it's this ghost thing. And he very quickly goes from his kind of Columbo yeah. pressure on everyone to he's sitting there and his teacups rattling in his hand. And mm. I love that, the way that he goes in there all full of air and bluster and I'm going to take control of this situation. I'm going to put everyone's minds at rest and I'm going to, yeah, and then very quickly realises just how out of his 
depth he is and, and turns terrified, really. Well, it's, it's also, it's lovely is the bit where he has his... Um, he has his whistle and I'll come to you moment where he realised, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> he realises that the supernatural is real. And it's just him yeah. sat in the bed just going, but the Headless Horseman's real. And Michael Gamble's going, yes, I know, we told you. <laughs> and he just keeps repeating that. And it's like, yeah, we know it's fucking real, you idiot. We've been telling you for ages that there's a real Headless Horseman. You're the one who decided it didn't exist. And, yeah, yeah. it's a lovely sort of, it's a lovely turnaround on that. But I think, it, weirdly, because in the book, Ichabod Crane's meant to be quite weird-looking. Yeah. And then they, apparently Johnny Depp wanted to go, like, full grotesque prosthetics. Yeah. And, like, Tim Burton said to him, oh, no, we want him to be, we want him to be weird, but in terms of personality. Yeah, but you in can... In terms of personality rather than... He's got cauliflower ears and a big nose, or something like that. You know, so he's described in the book here yeah, as being very tall and very skinny. So he's extremely gangly, and um, mm. yeah, he's got a, a large crow-type nose. He's described as having, um, yeah, and he, he they basically say he's like a walking scarecrow. Is the way he's described in the book. I think. I think it also there is there is a certain element where, and and again, this might just be, um, I mean, cer- certainly not from not from a point of view of the ladies uh, but certainly Johnny Depp is quite out of place when you sit him next to like Ian McDermott and Richard Griffiths and yeah. Michael Gambon these are people with very lived in faces and you know it's sort of, it, does, it does create a, you know maybe he was just sitting there thinking I've got to stand next to Alan Armstrong Christopher Lee this is going to look fucking ridiculous <laughs> give, me, mm-hmm. give me a wob eye or you know <laughs> He's very beautiful. There's no getting around it. This this is Johnny Depp at his most sexy. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's before. I don't know. I think it's before he got into because he kind of got more into living in his characters, which he did later on. Um, so this is still fairly early in his career. Mm. Um, well, but, I mean, yeah, yeah but no, it's '99. I mean, his first films. Nightmare on Elm Street be going for like twenty odd years, nearly. But but did he do much after that? Um, well, I mean, he was in what was it? He was in the Mod Squad, like on TV, and then he was basically building up. But he always strangely oh, enough, got on Jump Street, of course. Yeah, uh, sorry, yeah, the Mod Squad. Fucking hell. Um, yeah, but I think he sort of um, he was gradually getting the ball rolling where he becomes a big. Big box office name, yeah. but he had he'd done some he'd done a lot of independent stuff, and it varied from like Cry Baby with John Wal- uh, with John Walters, mm, fantastic, uh, movie. as well as sort of like stuff like romantic comedies like Benny and June and sort of stuff like that. You know, they're a bit more mainstream or dare I say it, boring. Um, and um, Jesus Christ, two years before this, he was in the Vicar of Dibley. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it, 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 no, this year, nineteen ninety nine, he was in the Vicar of Dibley. What the? F- yeah. Well, I uh, here's another fact for you. I know I remember this from an interview with Johnny Depp at the time because I, me and me and Sarah found it bloody hilarious. They said to him, "Oh, well, you're doing an English accent in this. Who do you base your English accent on?" And he said, "Swiss Tony from the Far Show." <laughs> <laughs> you know, Paul. 
cleaning a car is like making love to a beautiful woman. Fucking hell. You know what? I I can't have more respect for this man. I genuinely can't. He's just he's just well, incredible. Well, apparently, I think Richard Griffiths is in it because um, Johnny Depp's obsessed with Britain and I. Yeah. And so Richard, uh, Richard Griffiths, a.k.a. Monty, you terrible cunt. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I think that's part of the reason he's in the film is just because of Johnny Depp's love of Withner and I. Um, but there's, yeah, I think, what was it? There was, I looked into it and found out there were other, there, there are sort of other tales of Headless Horseman and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Johnny Depp actually did one thing I was quite surprised about. Apparently, that the bit where he's being dragged behind the carriage that was Johnny Depp, he did his own stunt for that, mm. um, which is pretty sort of hardcore. Uh, and also, the horse that he gets given in the like the Ichabod gets given in the film, Gunpowder, um, apparently, uh. That horse was going to be put down after they after they finished filming, uh, which Johnny Depp found out, and so he adopted the horse because obviously, yeah, he's he's quite a nice, sentimental chap, apparently. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so there are sort of other stories of headless horsemen mm. from like there's apparently going from the Middle Ages, but then I would suppose from around the time a lot more people were using horses as transport. Well, yeah. So, you know. <laughs> um, but in Ireland, there's a Dullahan, or uh, Gansian, which is uh, Gaelic for without a head, which is a headless rider carrying their head under their arm. The head is described as having the culture and consistency of mouldy cheese with a grin stretching the width of the head. Mm. The Dullahan uses a spine as a whip, and draws a carriage covered in dried human skin with thigh-bone wheel spokes and lanterns made of skulls. Where the Dullahan stops riding, a person will die. The Dullahan calls out their name, drawing out their soul, prompting them to drop dead, and they can be warded off with gold. So that's the, <laughs> that's the, Irish, that's <laughs> the Irish headless horseman. In Scotland, there's a prominent tale of a man named Ewan who was decapitated at the Battle of Glencleanair, uh, on the Isle of Mole, he and his horse are both headless, which I think mm. is a nice spin on it. And then for England, you've got uh, Gawain and the Green Knight. And in the story of Gawain and the Green Knight, he fight, uh, Gawain fights the Green Knight, beheads him, because there's a, um, I think it's something along the lines of, basically, the Green Knight's challenge is that you get one blow to try and defeat him. And if you manage it, uh, uh, and that one blow, providing that the Green Knight gets to give it to you a year later. So Gawain steps up, chops his head off, and then uh, the, the Green Knight gets up, picks up his head, and says, right, I'll see you in a year then. And so he has to fight the headless Green Knight. <laughs> That's a um, terrifying concept. Well, and I'm really, really waiting on this. There is a um, uh, four, 4AD, not 4AD, they're a bloody record label, A24. Um, you know, did The Lighthouse and uh, a lot of oh, really great films. Um, yeah, 
um, they've done a version of Gawain and the Green Knight, mm. which I'm kind of hoping is going to be like Excalibur um, in terms of its sort of like art house weirdery. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, and cast wise, there's a lot of people who are regulars with um, uh, with Tim Burton. Um, obviously, Christina Rich is, is, I think, think that the weird thing is, is that this follows the thing that uh, Tim Burton did with uh, Edward Scissorhands, which is you take someone who looks absolutely like is really striking or really stunning with dark hair. Hmm. Christina Ritchie, we own a rider. Give them blonde hair and it does nothing for them. Yeah. You know, it's just, it just seems to, yeah. So I don't know whether, again, could be any one of his kinks. Who knows? <laughs> I don't get, and it's the same with the accents as well. I don't get why some of the Americans are putting on British accents while British people are putting on American accents. <laughs> To, to make it just a bit surreal. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just letting everyone know that Claire's been at my notes, <laughs> as there is a spunking cock in the margin. <laughs> I love Thank her, you, Claire. I love her. <laughs> is it spunking on anything important? They're spunking on Alan Armstrong, which I, Ooh. I would do fairly regularly. He's the one who plays. <laughs> He's he's the one who plays um, uh, Ichabod's boss in New York, like Northern bloke mm. with his yeah. air plastered down. But he just spends his time playing old coppers. Yes, because obviously he's Matt Berry's boss in Year of the Rabbit. And yeah, I think I think he might have his own outfit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean he's he's just a he's fan again. He's fantastic. You've got Claire Skinner in there, who obviously who plays um, uh, the midwife Beth. Yes, um, and she's like in just so much stuff, um, like Brass Eye, Coogan's Run, The Pale Horse, um, Life Is Sweet. She's in ID. Yeah, I was going to say that's what I always remember her from is she's the wife in ID because yeah. she she's played that fantastically. Unfortunately, she's also in Outnumbered, which can best be described as a shit con. <laughs> she was also in, and I want this categorically stated now, for the rec- just for the record, for the benefits of the tape, she is in Doctor Who, the, lo- the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe, which is, without a shadow of a doubt, the worst fucking thing that's ever been put out under the name Doctor Who. Oh, and- really? And worse than some of the fucking like there's there's stuff in the eighties that will make your bollocks retreat into your body cavity in cringe or horror. But nothing prepares you for the fucking diabetic vomit fest of that fucking episode. It's it pains me. It really does. It's the it's the one that I just think, no, I'm never going back and watching that again. It pissed me off. Um, but other than that, she's a very nice lady. Sorry? You kind of wonder when people do because, like, there are a lot of, like you say, episodes of TV shows or whatever they're like that. You do wonder if the people involved know at the time, or if they're just like, ah, oh, you know, it's all going to be green screened, and I'm sure it will look fantastic, and I'm sure well, it's, once it's, it's, not even that. It's, it's just everything on a fun. It looks fine. It's just everything on a fundamental plot level is awful, and it commits the real cardinal sin. Of having Bill Bailey in a cameo and wasting him 
<laughs> completely. Alexander Armstrong's in it. There's some cool people oh, in nice. it. There's some cool people in that episode, but I would happily pluck my eyes out and shove them up my arsehole rather than like watch that again. <laughs> and, and I will excuse Doctor Who almost anything. <laughs> but it is truly dreadful. So I apologize for that. Just gone off on a bit of a tent. No, no, uh, yeah. Let it all out. This is therapy for us, really, let's be honest. Yeah. You've tuned, you've tuned into On the Couch with Welcome to Horror. Um, you've got Lisa Marie in there, obviously, playing uh, Ichabod's mum, uh, yeah. who was who's in loads of his stuff. Uh, unfortunately, you've got... Um, oh, what's his bloody name? Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones, yeah. Jeffrey uh, Jones, who does turn up in lots of... Uh, in other stuff, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and... Devil's Advocate and Howard the Duck, but unfortunately, is a nonce. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, but uh, uh, less less said, soonest mended. I believe that um, there's. I think you have to take an element of separation. Wasn't he acquitted though? Just no, no. He actually he, he he pled no contest. So he basically oh, yeah, no, he so that's basically true. pled guilty. It was for pos- it was possession of child pornography and um, propositioning a young man for nude photographs or something. Oh fucking no! Yeah, no, I didn't know that. I didn't. Yeah. Know, yeah. Oh no, it's just, um, Claire's added a- another lovely message on my notes here as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's the heart that you know you- <laughs> using a heart there to sort of like try and yeah. Oh, but no, it, it, I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, but this was this, in fairness to sort of anyone involved, all this stuff with Jeffrey Jones came out after, certainly after Sleepy Hollow, I think it was like early 2000s. Yeah. And, and more to the point, I haven't seen him in much since. No. So, no. you know, it's, it's, um, it's not excusing it. And it's unfortunate because he is one of those people, he's one of those sort of part of the Tim Burton rep company. He's, he's, only, he's only also in Beetlejuice and Ed Wood, but I think he's just such prominent characters in those that you just remember him. He, um, he, and, and the thing is, his performance is outstanding. So, hmm. you know, like, although obviously I'm glad nobody is casting him now, yeah. Um, yeah. You certainly can't take you. You know. You certainly can't say that um, he shouldn't have been cast in his previous things before all of this came out because he, he was a fantastic actor. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he still is a fantastic actor, but nobody wants to give him money. Well, let, well, I was going to say. Let's face it. He managed to. He managed to uh, act not being a nonce for. Forty odd years, so you know that's that's quite convincing an actor, I suppose. If you act for a living, then yeah, doing it yeah. for money is probably easy. well. That's that's what um, that's what uh, Henry Zabrowski is always on about. Don't trust an actor, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, because uh, effectively, effectively, they're professional liars, and I think yeah. you've got a very good fucking point. Then. It's it's certainly got something to be said for it, I think. But I do actually, and here's a weird one. Oh, by the way, just. Totally, I mean, we've dealt. There's quite a few people in this film that we've dealt with before: Christopher Lee, Johnny Depp, Michael Goff. Yep. Fucking cool. Does Michael Goff look in this film? 
Yeah, with a massive mullet. Yeah, with a massive mullet. It's like he could fucking tear your face off. Yeah. And he must have been literally at the end of his life here. And this is, so I think this is his last. I think this is his last film because he recorded. He he's he he's one of the voices in the Corpse Bride, but I think. But he actually came out of retirement. Uh, the Corpse Bride, Chris, uh, postingly about things that conflicts this Corpse Bride. Anybody who hasn't seen the Corpse Bride, go and check that out. It's well. Really- I was going to say, could we go back to? Um, the films that he directed and I did see it that was on there because I know Adam you said there weren't many after this that you have liked and yeah, I, I mean, was, was going to check so yeah you reckon that's The Corpse cool, the Bride The Corpse Bride's okay I think the trouble is is that this was I think the first time I saw The Corpse Bride was on like a, it was on pirate and on video <coughs> and the worst part about it was is that it was a very bleached out copy so mm. it wasn't until I saw the film much later that I realised that the real world is in black and white and the underworld is in colour. Mm. Because the the print I saw of it was pretty much just black and white all the way through. So I hadn't seen it in its best light. And also I just think it's no Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, uh, it's... Nightmare Before Christmas is absolutely amazing. Um Maybe it's just where the game slips. Do you know what I mean? People, people have a trajectory, and maybe you get something like I say. You get a lot of the stuff that Tim Burton does afterwards. After this, certainly, are recalling other mm. stuff. But well, maybe so, so not the, quite the, the same only success. one, the only film on here I have seen, and I did not realise it was Tim Burton until I saw it on here just now, is Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which I actually really liked. Is that, that actually is that directed by him? According to this, it yeah, is. Oh, wow. I didn't. I genuinely not, didn't know. I'd never heard of it, and we just it just like we saw it for a quick play. I think either someone had said check it out, perhaps. But yeah, and I was like, okay, this is actually a good film. And yeah, I, so. can, I can imagine. I can imagine it's from what I saw of the tra- like what I saw of the trailers and everything. Mm. That makes perfect sense. That it's a Tim Burton film, to be honest. So. And then, I yeah, like, if you, I don't know if is Big Fish after this. I really like. Yeah, it. so yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I do Fish remember that. Right. Good. I can't remember what it was about though. Wasn't it's it just quite someone, weird? It's someone's but, life is a guy like their story. His life, but yeah, the talk is basically someone recounting his dad's tale of his youth. Mm. Yeah, but his dad was a noted liar and exaggerator. Ah, uh, yeah, and he doesn't know what's true and what's not. So he okay. tells the story, but it sort of veers off into the fantastical and stuff. And so yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. No, I re- I, I really liked Big Fish because weirdly enough, I think it was around the time that he did Big Fish was around the time Ron Howard did The Grinch That Stole Christmas, mm. and Big Fish doesn't feel like a Tim Burton movie in terms of visually at all. Mm. And then you assume that Tim Burton directed The Grinch That Stole Christmas, but he didn't. <laughs> It's funny, Big Fish is 2003, Child and Chocolate Factory 2005, this says, whereas I would have thought Big Fish was much earlier and Child and Chocolate Factory was much later. Much later. Yeah, I, like, I was, yeah, I was actually thinking, that's the reason I had to ask, is because I, I was thinking to myself, was Big Fish after this? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But I think, certainly I think, I think Sleepy Hollow is the last Tim Burton film I saw at the cinema. Mm, okay. The first being Batman. 
and then pretty much all the films between Sleepy Hollow, Batman and Sleepy Hollow, I saw it. I did actually see the pictures. Mm. Um, actually, I, saw, I think is Edward Scissorhands pre Batman because I saw that in the pictures as well. It, it, it looks is. like well, according to this, it was one year after. So Batman oh, right. in 1989, Edward Scissorhands. Oh yeah, right. Before Batman Returns, yeah, yeah. So, and strange enough, he's done Dumbo in 2019, which I had no idea about. I've not seen that. That that is part of this current spate of um, Disney doing. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't want to say live action because they don't use a real elephant. <laughs> no. I know that sounds stupid. <laughs> but they but make it look. Real. It looks, yeah, it's not like animation. Well, it's like mm. the Jungle Book. I tried watching. Well, not tried watching it. We put it on for Ted, mm. and I was just like, why? Did you? Why'd you bother? You've got this beautiful fucking, admittedly, like most stuff. When you go back and watch any Disney film pre about nineteen ninety six, there's always a bit in there where you're going, couldn't do that now. <laughs> um, so you know, or there'll be a, a song with uh, some <laughs> dodgy racial stereotyping in it, or something mm-hmm. like that. But essentially, I don't think there's anything. I, I don't recall there being anything in. The original Jungle Book that would be, you know, considered off that you needed to read. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think it's something Darth like the crows or something, and now considered as somehow. That's the crows in Dumbo. Like not. Really? Cro- you're thinking of the crows in Dumbo. Possibly because there's are there crows in because. Didn't the Beatles turn up as some crows in And no, vultures, aren't they? That's what I was thinking, yeah, the vultures, that's right. Yeah. No, I think, okay. I think they'd be fine because they're just meant to be the Beatles. Yeah. So, <laughs> who I else think, I checked weren't a race? I think that's a problem to some degree, like, you know, like, I totally agree. I think it's, you know, it, we need to look at stuff we did and go, do you know what? That, wasn't acceptable but it was done and it's fine and you know you, you kind of draw a line under it but that's the thing a lot of stuff is now being remade purely because there is a comment or a, a scene or whatever um, and things have been massively remade that don't need it purely because they're like well i wouldn't show that to my kids because I, mean, well, I, I thought on some or, of them they're putting yeah. a message at the start to say you know some yeah, of the stuff is not yeah, but I think also there's yeah, but then I think also there's a weird thing like why have you done the, the fucking Lion King? Mm. You know because you're not you're not gaining any live actor because you've basic basically it's a cartoon but it's a yeah. C, it's a computer generated cartoon not a hand drawn cartoon and that is literally the difference. But everything, but the trouble is with the the remade Lion King. Everything's uncanny valley. Yeah, they look odd. Whereas actually, you feel for in the the original Lion King, you the feel content, for yeah, the characters. For, they, yeah. they they live more than these sort of CGI. Oh, it looks like a real bear. Yeah, but real bears don't fucking talk. Give me fucking Baloo in a coconut bra. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be so yeah. Sorry, that's me. That's me, Disney rant. Uh. Um, yeah, saying about the the kind of the not turning against, but Tim Burton going from being um, everyone's favourite to kind of being turned against to some degree. Um, 
Yeah, I think Adam's right. I think it was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, possibly, was where it all sort of fell apart. Because um, mm. Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd, I shouldn't like, because it's a musical. Mm. Uh, with no need to be a musical whatsoever. Like, that film could have happened without those songs in it, and it would have been a really good film. Mm. Um, and I don't hate it as musicals go. But, yeah, it, it was just a strange choice, really, to put songs in it. I didn't see... When you didn't have a musical cast, again... Well, Claire said, Claire said that the thing is, Sweeney Todd's one of those films where you feel it should be great, but it isn't. Yeah. Like you come out again, you sort of come out of it just going, "Oh, right, fair enough." Um, whereas I think something like, like I, said, I mean, probably my favourite Tim Burton film is probably Ed Wood. Hmm. But then I think Ed Wood is just such a, you know, that's just so filled with love. Yeah, and I think maybe. Maybe that's just not being expressed in other things. It's like you, if you really, 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 really love Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the last thing you're going to do is remake it. Yeah, I would think it's not the same as say. I think I think there's a different thing. It's not like if if you if you're a band and you like another band, you cover that band. Hmm. But that's a song that's not like rebuilding the whole thing from bottom up and. Potentially get, replacing it for a generation or something like that. Yeah, mm. I was going to say effectively getting people to check yours out rather than theirs, which I, mm. yeah, which I think a remake of a movie is. Whereas okay. a, it's probably a cover doesn't necessarily do that. You mm. might, you're more likely to probably check out the original if you don't know it if you've heard the cover. Yeah. You may not think to do that with a film so much. Well, I think it's also that thing of just you might not be aware. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, you know, I mean people for, who are old enough to watch mm. this one may not then think oh i need to go and check into whether there was an original of this yeah but something like dark shadows i can see why that would be a perfect thing to do because dark shadows was obviously a tv show that ran for a long time a lot of the episodes have been lost so to make mm. a dark shadows film i think is a perfect homage and i think it's a perfect thing to go back and remake um I think the film suffered. Um, I went and saw this on opening day. I think I even booked the day off work and, and went and sat and watched it at 10 o'clock in the morning because um, I was so keen to watch it. But I think the reason it suffers is because of the trailer. It was one of those, there was a three-minute trailer and it was ultimately the best scenes of the film. Yeah, which is a show. In the trailer. So you, so you just watched an hour and 45 minutes of the trailer with the boring bits in between. Yeah. Um, it had a fantastic cast. It was really good. It, it, it kind of did pay homage to the original story. Um, so for those who don't know, Dark Shadows was a TV show in the 60s, I believe. I think it was, yeah. Essentially, um, essentially like a supernatural soap, wasn't it, really? Yeah, it was like a soap opera. It was on every day. Um, it was all broadcast live, um, and it went on for years. Um, so as a result, a lot of the episodes were never recorded and have, have been lost since. Um, but, yeah, so, so the idea of taking that story and kind of boiling it down and, and making a movie of it, because it is a fantastic story, um, uh, it's it's a family who are 
fairly rich kind of lords of the manor um and they don't realize that their ancestor is a vampire who's been buried alive for many years and is buried under the ground uh he manages to escape um accidentally he, he dug up by construction workers returns to the house and claims to be a relative uh, so the family let him in uh, yeah and then he goes to a secret vault and ultimately there's like yeah the, the family fortune he's got hidden underneath the house mm. um, yeah and it's it's really good and it was it was fairly strange the original like there was no element of comedy in the episodes i've seen um but obviously tim burns one was was a comedy primarily mm. uh, yeah and like and I, I i quite enjoyed it and i thought it was a good film as i say the only thing that let it down was the fact that the, the trailer pretty much shows you the entire film in a three minute format and you kind yeah. of need to see the film after you've seen it yeah I think also you saying about it like like the original wasn't meant wasn't a comedy but this was is I think that was also come again Tim Burton picks the most Tim Burton one to do admittedly yeah. but I think it's from around that time where there was stuff like uh like Starsky and Hutch where it was a bit comedy yeah you know where they were like sort of like oh we're remaking this old TV show but you didn't remake Starsky and Hutch as it would be made now you did you sort of Half spoof, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Or like the Baywatch one that wasn't out that long ago. Yep. Where yep. Again, again, it's like you're not you're not doing Baywatch straight. You're doing Baywatch. Going here, yeah, we know this is Baywatch. Fucking hell. So, yeah. <laughs> both of those work, though. To be fair, for me, I, I really enjoyed both of those, and I didn't think I was going to. Um, yeah, I think I think that's also one of those ones where it's probably you'd imagine that there were fucking like uh, Baywatch, like proper Baywatch super fans just fucking like, this is a fucking travesty. What are they doing? Like, yeah. this. <laughs> Wankers. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so uh, next episode is Hereditary. That's Ooh. what I thought it was. Oh, lucky I didn't watch that um, last week. Well, you'd have been prepped. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I probably would have, you know. Yeah, Miranda. so after this evening's light-hearted, uh, lovely, fun movie, uh, we're going to be moving into Hereditary, which uh, isn't, mm. but is a fantastic film. We will, yeah, we will stay at this point, Chris, not it's... a comedy. Not a comedy, Chris. No way, no how. But you'll pick up on that pretty fucking mm. quickly, I'm sure. <laughs> I'll admit. There is one bit where I piss myself laughing, but most people won't. I I think I know the moment, and I did also, and then had to check myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did it, and then went, yeah, I probably shouldn't have found that so, as funny as I did. Really. Um, yeah, you just you just suddenly get like Benedict Cumberbatch in your game. Bit wrong, yeah, bit wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll see if Chris can spot that for next mm. week. Um. We'll see you all next week for Hereditary. Thanks very much for listening. Good night. Good night, night, everyone.